everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today you're listening to episode 95, and I'm talking with Lauren Flores. This is one more, one last CIM edition of the podcast. I was so excited about all of the amazing runners and and women who accomplished great things at that race that I grabbed a bunch of interviews right after the race. So this will round out the last of my three CIM interviews. Lauren lives in California with her daughter and her husband, and she has recently decided that she's going to run really fast in the marathon. She just ran a 244 qualifying herself for the Olympic marathon trials at CIM, and she's had a really great marathon progression. Her PR before this race was 306. So yeah. (laughs) Lauren runs for Rabbit Elite, and she is also a cross-country and track coach along with she coaches runners herself on her own online platform. You guys can find Lauren on Instagram and learn more about her at the foodie runner underscore. It was really fun to get to know Lauren more and to catch up with her post race and see how she's feeling after accomplishing such a big goal. Before we get started talking with Lauren, I want to thank generation. You can for supporting this podcast generation. You can is powered by a super starch and it gives you a slow release carb without a crash. Generation Ucan provides you with long lasting energy with no sugar spikes. It's easy on your stomach and their super starch is truly the secret sauce in Ucan. You guys can get 15% off your Ucan order. If you go to generationucan.com slash another and use the promo code another all caps. Now I have a lot of people that reach out to me and ask me the best way to use the UCAN product and what I always suggest and what you can suggest is that you refrigerate it the night before and shake it up really well before you use it. I personally like the citrusy flavors. Um, I don't really like the chocolatey, the vanilla and things like that, but you might. So um, people always ask me what my personal preference is and I like the citrus lemonade type flavors. So I really recommend you guys try them out. If you are jumping into any sort of intense training, I love to drink it before my long runs. That's my favorite way to use the product, and especially if I have a long run with a workout in it. So that's generationucan.com slash another. Use the promo code another all caps to save 15% off your order. Let me know what you think. You guys can join our Facebook group. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine, and that's where people actually talk about stuff like that and bring up questions like that over there. If you're loving the show, I would appreciate it if you would leave me a rating and review on iTunes. I made this big goal to reach a thousand ratings and reviews by the end of the year, and I'm not going to reach over a thousand by the end of the year, which is fine, but I have over a hundred new ratings and reviews since I put that request out four weeks ago and since I made that big goal. So it's definitely helping. It's definitely working. So if you would like to help me in my efforts to reach that big goal, That would be amazing. Just go over to your podcast app or iTunes and leave a rating and review. And the reason that's so important is the more reviews you have, uh, the more likely new listeners can find the show. Something to do with the iTunes algorithm. I don't really understand it, but I just know it's important. So thank you. I really appreciate everybody who's already done that so far. All right, you guys, let's enjoy my conversation with Lauren. All right, so today on the podcast, we're talking with Lauren Flores, and Lauren, uh, 
her internet presence is the foodie runner, and she just ran a 244, a 244 marathon. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Thanks, Lindsay. I'm so excited to be on. I'm excited to have you. Um, are you riding this high from the race still, or what's going on in your life right now? Well, I'm still kind of like in shock about the race. Um, we're finally kind of coming back around to celebrating because we got home Sunday night and my husband and I came down with like some sort of stomach flu. So we were out of commission for a couple of days. So it's nice to finally be feeling good and able to kind of process what happened on Sunday. Are you so glad that that happened after the race though? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I saw your Instagram post or a story or something and I was like, oh God, good thing that didn't happen like Sunday morning or like Saturday night, you know? I know. I was, I was actually really nervous about having like um, an ovarian cyst first because exactly one month before I had that happen and was kind of couldn't run for four days and my doctor was like you know it might happen again next month I'm like no that's right when CIM is so I'm glad that didn't happen and that the stomach flu kind of held out oh because you were getting the cyst like in the middle of your cycle or something and yeah oh yeah it happened like the same time of month every month so I was really nervous kind of the couple days leading Mm -hmm. up kind of always like how am I feeling am I feeling okay but um luckily it didn't happen again this month okay well that I've had ovarian cysts before what do you have a a chronic cyst thing going on or what that was the first time it ever happened to me so um I hope it doesn't happen again but it was like one of the most painful things it's the first time I've ever been to the ER and I was just kind of more frustrated about when it was happening in my training cycle than the fact that it was happening at all. Um, Cause it was, it, it really took me out for a couple of days. Uh, were you scared? Like when you had to go to the ER, like what the heck is going on to me I'm, with me? That's sounds scary. So I, I coached cross country and track and one of my athletes actually had had one burst during practice. So I had kind of seen what was happening and had an idea that that's what it was. Um, and knew that it wasn't like life-threatening, but I was pretty scared about if it was going to be serious or how long I was going to not be able to run for. Um, and just mad that I was like getting a whole, I had run, I'd done a really long run that Saturday and didn't get a lot of sleep because I had come back from a travel trip and was just like really looking forward to sleeping that Sunday night and then spent all night in the ER awake. So I was more frustrated with that. <laughs> yeah. How old's your daughter? She's 16 months. Okay. So she's sleeping through the night. Yes. She's luckily been a really good sleeper from the beginning, which obviously was, has been really helpful with waking up early and training and all that stuff. Yeah. That's, that's a game changer for sure. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to talk about CIM quite a bit, but let's sure. walk back to, um, you know, earlier in your life, you, yeah. um, Grew up in Hopkinton with, am I saying that right, Hopkinton? Yep. Mm -hmm. So you grew up in Hopkinton, and uh, most people who listen to this show um, know about the Boston Marathon. And if you know about the Boston Marathon or if you've been to Boston for the marathon or ran it, you know that that's where the start line is of the race. So that's really cool. Um, And I I have to tell you, the first time I ran Boston, I ran it twice, and my husband has ran it once. We're going back this year in 2018. Um, but he, or the first year we were there, it was 2009 and 
we didn't know anything about, you know, the Boston Marathon or what to do, how, you know, logistics and stuff. And we yep. stayed out like near the start line instead of, oh no I know, instead of closer to the finish line. So it was like big, long train ride back to the hotel after the race. And I mean, part we part in part did it because uh, it's cheaper, you know, to stay out yep. there. But had we known that it made more sense to stay closer, we would have done that. So anyway... Um, you know, my first bo- real Boston experience is, I think what a lot of people do is you go take a picture, or at least I did, I took a picture by the Hopkinton sign that says, like, welcome to Boston. Yeah. So tell me about what that was like to grow up in such a, I mean, did you guys go out every year to, to see the start, and what did that look like? Yeah, so it was actually really cool um, growing up there, and I moved, we moved there when I was in fourth grade, so I was like nine years old. Um and I just remember kind of, we would watch at the start some years, and it was so fun to watch the runners all, like, on their way, um, running to Boston. Um, and then my grandpa actually lived right by the half marathon mark. So some years, um, me and my cousins, we would go out there, and we'd be watching on the TV, and we'd see the elite runners kind of making their way through new. Newton's after Wellesley so getting close to Wellesley and then you'd be like run and we'd run the like half a block down to the street and watch them come through um and there's this like really embarrassing picture of me um wearing this big like Kenyan flag t-shirt and I have my hair and like Princess Leia but braid buns with an American flag in one and a Kenyan flag in the other <laughs> Um, just cheering for all the runners because um, they would actually, the Kenyan runners would come to our elementary school and we'd have like a little pep rally for them and we'd sing the Kenyan, um, I don't think it's the national anthem, but one of their national songs um, and kind of just learn about Kenya and how they are all like, how they run and come out and do the Boston Marathon. So um, even from a young age, doing a marathon was something that was kind of on my my dream list of things to do. So did your family run? I mean, and what were you guys doing living out there? I mean, would you, what were your parents' jobs? So my, um, my dad was working in Boston. Um, and I don't know how they picked Hopkinton, but it was just kind of like an up-and-coming town when we moved there. Um, it's since grown a lot um, in the past, like, almost 20 years. Um, so that's how we ended up there. Um, it's kind of close to some family. My grandpa was in Wellesley and my dad's parents were in Walpole. Um, so they all, they both grew up in Massachusetts. Um, but yeah, my mom started running in that year in 99. She did the Disneyland marathon in 2010, 2000. Um, so that kind of got all of us interested in running as well and when I was in seventh grade I really wanted to join the field hockey team um but the only sport open to seventh graders was cross country and track I was like I'll do cross country this year and then next year I'll do field hockey um but I really liked cross country and my coach was like hey if you come back next year you can be a captain and that sounded way better than joining field hockey and learning a whole new sport so I kind of just got sucked in and have been doing it ever since so, yeah, and, but you mentioned that um, your 5K PR in high school was, like, an average of a 626 mile, and yeah. you just ran CIM with an average of, was it 617? Yeah. hmm Yeah, and, I mean, obviously, we're completely different, you know. How old are you, Lauren? 
I'm 27. Okay, so obviously we're like, well, I mean, so you're, you're what? You're 10 years removed from high school. So, yeah. you know, it's a different, I feel like most of us aren't uh, mature uh, mentally as far as like the yeah. run, that side of things goes with running. I mean, there are some girls that are obviously because, you know, whoever's winning state or doing all those things is probably pretty mature mentally. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, I mean, that is just an insane uh, pace difference for such a long yeah. distance. So so you went on to run in college, and mm-hmm. um, and then when did you decide to become a marathoner? So I ran in college. I ran at Pepperdine, um, and my times actually improved, like, a lot from high school, mostly because of, like, increased mileage. In high school, we would run, like, 30 miles a week and in college I was doing like 60 um and so I really loved the 5k I never tried the 10k in college because I was kind of afraid of doing that on the track um but then after college I kind of just was burnt out because at the end of my junior year I got a stress fracture in my femur and came back to run my senior year but was kind of like a little bit out of shape because I couldn't start running until three weeks or so before um, the cross country season started. And just one thing that really stuck out to me that year was uh, at the Santa Clara Invitational, kind of doing strides at the start of the race and the announcer going, oh, and here comes like, or in the race this year is Lauren Floris, who won it, or Lauren Lodge at the time, who won it last year. And then I came in like 30th because I was so out of shape um, and just how much that stunk. Um, so at the end of that year, I was like, I kind of need like a new challenge. Um, and so I decided to do, uh, my first marathon and I did LA in 2013, um, when it was still in March. Um, so that was like almost a year after I had graduated that I did LA. So you were like 23? Yes. And you were in a 310? Yep. So, I mean, that's a really fast first marathon. I mean, I had, uh... Krista Duchesne on the show from Canada and she, you know, she has a 228 PR and her first marathon was 328, you know? So yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, So did you, um, like, did you train hard for that? I mean, cause what does, I mean, that's faster than my marathon PR is what does that look like training for your first marathon and running a 310? Yeah. So I was working a lot at the time I was working in accounting and our minimum, hours a week was actually like 50 that we had to work so I was basically in the office from eight to eight most days um so really all I ever did was I ran 10 miles every morning during the week and then I would do my long run on the weekend and then take Sunday off um so I definitely did not prepare very well for like um race pace or anything like I just basically ran um and then LA is really downhill at the beginning, which I wasn't really aware of. So my first 10K was horribly fast. And I had some friends, guy friends from college meeting me along the route. And the poor guy that met me at mile 20, like he was trying to get his long run in and I'm like walking. <laughs> and he's like, 
and he's being so nice and like oh lord when we get to that trash can we're gonna run i'm like okay and we get there and i'm like i'm not running and just like the whole six miles he was with me i was so mean to him um, <laughs> but he really like helped me get to the finish line um and just it was such so hard the last six miles because i had gone out way too fast that i told myself i was never gonna do another marathon um but then a couple weeks later was um, when the Boston Marathon bombings happened. Um, and since that's just like my hometown is where the mar- that marathon starts and it's just so close to home, I immediately was like, okay, well, next year I have to do Boston, which is how I ended up doing that the next year. And you ran a 314. So did was training similar? So that time I had changed jobs. So I had a little bit more time on my hands. Um, I was working at a church, but my boss actually was also a cross country coach. Um, and the school that he coached at was an NAIA school. So they actually do race the marathon. So he had experience coaching marathoners and he put together a training plan for me. Um, so that time I was, like doing workouts and have like workouts in my long run and stuff like that. Um, and I like vividly remember doing one like 18 mile run and my boss came out on his bike and was like riding alongside me and taking my split and giving me fluids and helping me practice like drinking a water bottle um, during the workout. So that cycle is actually training to do a 250. Um, but then we actually moved across the country to Massachusetts like two weeks before that race and just all the emotions of um being there the year after the bombings and all that I just kind of fell apart I was on pace through halfway and then um just had a really hard time this the second half um and just I wanted to stop but um there was this guy that kind of stopped and walked with me for a little bit I don't even I have no clue who he was but he was like doesn't matter how slow or fast we go today. Like we just have to take back that finish line. Um, and so he kind of like encouraged me to get to the finish line, no matter how slow, slow it was. Did he run like the last 10 K with you or what? He just ran maybe like half a mile with me, encouraged me. Um, and then he like, I was like, you go, don't stay with me. But, um, still that was like a really memorable like moment just, and, and making sure that everybody was getting to the finish line. Yeah. So that was 2014. I ran it that year too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, it was hot. Yeah, it was hot. And, uh, what was I doing? Oh, I had had surgery in January and then I just like, I had been dealing with some pretty annoying plantar fasciitis. And so I just like, I had signed up earlier, you know, in the fall just to run for fun. And, um, cause I wanted to be there, you know, the year after the bombing yeah. and everything, I wanted to be a part of that, um, that day. And so I didn't run, you know, fast or anything, but it was, uh, it was so cool. And I, I could tell a difference in how much bigger the crowds were that year comparative, comparative to when I ran it in 2009. Yeah, it was. It was a crazy difference for sure. So, okay. Then you go on to run the 306 and yep. and then you go on to run a 244. So tell me <laughs> what getting to 306 down to 244 is because that is pretty crazy. Yeah, it's a big difference. So, well, so for Chicago, when I ran 306, um, 
I actually haven't really trained for a marathon. I was training more for cross country, but um, the sign up for Chicago had been like, it's so far in advance that I had signed up before I did Boston. And then after Boston, I was like, uh-uh, I'm not doing that, um, that race. But my sister, her boyfriend at the time, and then one of my good friends, we were all supposed to do Chicago together. I was like, well, I'll go and I'll just pace my friend. Like the longest I've run in the past six months is like 16 miles. Um, but at Chicago, they don't let you move back a corral. Usually like you can move backwards. They just let you move forwards. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, I can't start with her. I'll just run until I find her husband's and then I'll pull over to the side and then we'll like find her all together. And I don't know if you've run Chicago, but the crowds are huge, like, especially in that, like, three-hour, 310 range. Um, I never saw my husband or her husband. I never saw my friend. I just kept running, and I had only told myself, like, I'm going to do, like, 20 miles max. Um, Somehow, I just, like, ran the whole thing um, and ran the PR, and I was like, oh, dang it. Now... At some point, I need to actually train and do another marathon because if I can run 306 without really doing marathon-specific training, I know I have a lot more, a lot more in me uh, yeah. um, at this distance. <laughs> totally. What year was that? That was 2014, um, and I, as excited as I am about like qualifying for the trials and running the 244 as a numbers accounting type person, I just loved that PR because it was 30609 and I ran it on 10 12 14 okay. so pretty fun numbers yeah so um what year did you get married we got married in 2013 okay and then after the 306 you had yeah. a baby yeah so we our daughter was born in 2016 so after it was like a whole year after Chicago that we, we got pregnant. Um, after that, I had focused kind of more on shorter stuff. I had ran a PR in the half marathon and was kind of trying to chip away at my 5K time and get back to where I was in college. Um, and then we decided to have our first baby. Um, and after she was born... Um, it really took me a long time. I don't know if you've experienced this to like get back to wanting to train seriously. Um, I was running, I started running like maybe four weeks postpartum, but for maybe nine months, I was running three to five miles a day, not really doing long runs. Um, and it's just tiring having a little one. Um, and that was just taking up a lot of my energy so it wasn't until she was like nine months old that I decided to kind of start training uh, more seriously and hire a coach and start chasing some PRs again. I think that's pretty like safe amount of time after having a baby yeah. to start training seriously. I mean, I especially think in what I've seen and in, in from my personal experience, um, a lot of people ramp it up real quick after their first baby. Mm -hmm. um, and even, gosh, even now that I've had three, it's like, my desire to uh, start running fast is uh, sooner is less and less with each child. Yeah. I'm more and more tired. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I do think that I, I, I think that's good and healthy that you 
started at nine months because I think I see people, I feel like I see people just jumping right into it. And I mean, I am one of them. I was one of them after my first baby. Mm -hmm. So that's not to, to knock anybody, but um, just allowing yourself that time to just say, I'm not ready for this yet is really, Mm -hmm. really smart. Yeah. And the thing that's crazy, I was just talking to my husband about this yesterday. Um, Thanksgiving was only like two weeks ago. And last year on Thanksgiving, we ran a turkey trot and I like was hardcore trying in that race and ran like 20 minutes, which again is like 6.30 pace or something. I'm like, that's crazy that that was me a year ago. And just, uh, it's just kind of rewarding to see how that's where I was 12 months ago. And then put in all the hard work that I have over the past year and run um, the marathon that I did on Sunday. So she was like six months when you ran that 20 minute 5k? Like four months. Yeah. And just for everybody listening to put it into perspective. I mean, like you just said, that was, um, that was like 12 seconds per mile slower than what you ran an entire marathon. So later. Yeah, exactly. and, And time is, time is relative to, you know, everybody's different with their time. So like to you, that 20 minutes wasn't super fast, but I mean, cause there's some people listening yeah. there probably like 20 minutes when you were four months per oh, yeah. That's so fast. Yeah. Granted my, yeah, my side KPR from college is 1650. So yeah, okay. to me, tw- 20 minutes feeling like I was trying uh, to me, that was kind of devastating. What's your five KPR now? Same 1650. Do you have desire to try to knock that down? Yeah. So now, uh, I'm going to, after I take like a nice good rest after the marathon, um, I'm going to go after some PRs on the track this season. So okay. I'm excited. about that. Yeah. Okay. So you say a nice big rest and what does that mean to you as far as taking a break from running and really enjoying the holidays and stuff? Like mm-hmm. what does time off mean to you and like define it? Yeah. So I'm, I've always been like a big believer in taking time off. Um, there was just, when I was in high school, there was a gal that was really talented and she was in um, middle school and she had run like five fifteen or something for the mile. Um, and she was just like, tra- always training super hard and um, ended up in the middle of a race that she was doing once her like hip shattered and she just never was able to like train and race the same again. So I've always been really wary of like listening to my body and making sure I take time off and um, even if you watch, look at like the professional runners, a lot of them will take a nice big chunk of time off from running. Um, and for me, I'd rather take it off preventatively than take it off because I have a big injury. Um, so for my coach's orders, there's no running for two weeks right now, um, which is nice and also crazy to think that I'm already like 30% of the way through that because it's so nice right now to just sleep in and like have slow mornings and not worry about going out and getting a 22 mile run in. Um, then after that two weeks, it'll be like a slow build back up into running and still lots of cross training and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So that's interesting. Two full weeks. Yeah. And this first week is like no anything. And next week I might do some swimming or like a little bit of light um, cycling on the bike or some yoga or something, but definitely a full week of no, no physical activity whatsoever. 
That's so awesome. I know I see people sometimes running like days, day or two after their marathons. And I'm like, why do you even want to do that right now? Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I usually take like a full week off and then I run like mm, two or three miles, you know, for like yeah. a week straight for four days a week or something like that. But mm-hmm. So CIM, let's begin. Yeah. What, sure. what did your training look like? How long was your build? How many miles a week did you peak out at? All that stuff. Yeah. So my, I did with my coach, I started with him in April and we kind of did like an abbreviated track season and road racing summer season. Uh, And then the last week of July, we took a week off and then started our build for CIM after that. So I think in total from then it was 18 weeks. Okay. Which for me is like a relatively long build up. So what was your base at when you started that 18 weeks? I think, I think we started at like 40 or 45 miles, uh, but then it got pretty quickly um, and averaged around, I would say 65 to 70. And I had, I'm supposed to have two weeks at 80 and I think because of the ovarian cyst that I had, I only ended up hitting 81 week. Okay. All right. Well, that's less miles per week than I was going to guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My body doesn't respond super well to really high mileage. Um, but I think that was kind of the sweet spot for me. Um, and what I really appreciated about my coach kind of letting me tell him that and not kind of make me feel like a, sla- a slacker because um, I do know, like, do know that that works best for my body. Um, who's your coach? Um, his name is Andres De La Cruz. De La Cruz. Um, his, it's Adrenaline Running on Instagram. Oh, Adrenaline Running. How'd you find him? Adrenaline. <laughs> oh, Adrenaline. Yeah. Adrenaline Running. <laughs> How'd you find him? Um, he is one of, okay, one of my old coaches from college she switched schools and then he was her athlete at her new school okay so we got like connected on facebook (laughs) i don't know yeah basically he was he was helping one of uh the gals that i knew her name's sabrina lopez her and her sister actually both also qualified for the trials um he was coaching them and they were running really good times um and so I was like, hey, I want to work with him. He's having really good results. Uh, yeah, so I just kind of reached out to him at, I coach cross-country and track at Cal Baptist. And so we would see them at a lot of track meets last spring. And a couple of times I was like talking to them. I'm like, hey, like, I really want to get faster. Like, I need a coach. And they're like, he's like, yeah, let me know when you're ready. And it took me a couple of months. And finally, I think one day when I saw Sabrina run like, well, like me, almost sixteen thirty. I was like, okay, yeah, I want him to be my coach. In the five k, she ran like almost sixteen thirty. Oh wow! Is he? Close? Yeah. Does he live? Is it all online, or does he live near you? He does live near us, um, but it's mostly it's online. He uses an app called Vo V dot O two. Oh yeah, yeah, I know uh, that. That's good. Yeah, and uh. It's nice because he, they, he, his girlfriend would do a lot of the same races as me or they're close and they'll come and like cheer on and take pictures and what is really cool to have that. So it's like online, but then we see him pretty frequently. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that platform. It's like, so 
it's so user friendly for the coach yeah. and the athlete for sure. Yeah. That's nice. All right. So what were your goals going into the race? So when I started this, the buildup, um, I mean, we've talked about my past marathons and kind of how they didn't go well. Um, and just for like context, when I was running those marathon times, my half times were saying I could run like 250. So I just always felt like I was underperforming in the marathon. And um, when I decided to do CIM and kind of was starting the buildup, I decided to look at it as my first marathon. So I have no expectations and um, not let my past marathons kind of influence what goals I was making. Because um, if I was going to do that, I mean, a logical goal with a 306 PR is, okay, I want to break three. Um, <laughs> sure. But I just was like, I'm just going to plug along, do the training he's telling me to do. And then when it gets closer to race day, kind of uh, pick a goal, I think, that I'm capable of. And so going in, my, like, realistic goal, I gave myself a really wide range just because I know how unpredictable the marathon can be. Um, I was telling people like, oh, I want my goal. My goal is like anywhere between two, I have another, like, 248 to 255. And they're like, that's a pretty big, a big range. And um, again, since I work with like coaching cross country, I have two coworkers um, and they're like, you can run faster than that. Like um, one of them was like, oh, for sure. Go for the standard. And then one of them was like, um, maybe you should like your goal should be 250 and then that way you're like hungry um to keep going and you for sure have a good race and don't kind of blow up because you tried to go out too fast but the standard that 245 was kind of my secret well not so secret like my, my dream goal that I thought I could do on like the perfect day and you did yeah <laughs> so on a not so perfect day surprisingly yeah so talk about that yeah so I mean we kind of went back and forth on whether or not we should take our daughter with us on the trip. Um, but eventually I just kind of came to the conclusion, like I, if, if no matter how I ran, I wanted her at the finish line. Um, so she had a little bit of a hard night the night before the race. So she ended up in bed with me and I was kind of up a lot the night before. Um, and I couldn't even like, I always tell I never really sleep well the night before a race, but I can always go back and say, well, at least I slept good last night. Um, but our flight had gotten pretty late on Friday and I was just like trying not to think about how little sleep I'd gotten. Um, and then the morning of the race, I went to make this little like oatmeal I had bought myself. Cause I always have like uh, a bagel and oatmeal before a marathon and the oatmeal had flax and chia seeds in it um which are not they do not agree with me my stomach um so it's like shoot can't eat the oatmeal so then I was concerned about my nutrition um and but I was so I ate the bagel and then I ate a banana and then this was kind of uh questionable but I ate a couple applesauce pouches okay um, but that was like three hours before the race so I think since it was so far out they kind of settled fine um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I feel the same way the night before a race, like I can never sleep well anyway, but then that just yeah. like, I've talked to somebody else on the show, Jen Bigham about this, like, just like the emotional energy that your child uh, takes from you too. Like, it's not only that you're not 
sleeping. It's also that you're kind of like caring for someone else at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that kind of, um, it kind of drains you a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I am glad though, like, cause I'm that kind of person that, um, I'll get like an elevated heart rate the day before a race, just like not even consciously thinking about it, but it's like stressing me out. So it was nice like on Saturday to have her with us and kind of focus on her yeah. instead of focusing on the race. And we didn't want to sit in the hotel room all day. So we found a little park and went and like pushed her on the swings and she ran around with dad while I was kind of like taking a load off my feet. But that kind of just, it did help take away some of the stress and anxiety that I can get the day before a race. Now that's a really good point because there have been times where I've, I'm getting ready to do a race or something and I'm like, oh, I haven't even thought about this because I'm just doing yeah. five million things with the kids. So yeah, that's, yep. that's a really good point. So you felt good though at the start of the race. Yeah, I felt surprisingly good. I have gone back and forth on starting with the pacers um, really up until like the race started, but I met one of the pacers on the bus on one of the shuttles to the start line and he was like are you in my group I'm like I guess so he kind of like talked me into running with them so um he had run the race a couple of times so I decided that I would start with them but if it felt too hard I would back off a little bit but um running with the group uh it felt pretty comfortable so I decided to go for it and run with the group and you ran with them through the half right yeah, so it ended up, like, splitting into two two different pace groups because there was two guys pacing us. Um, and I started with, like, the back group and kind of moved up to the front group. And then around mile 13, I kind of started um, – I was feeling really good at that point. Um, and so I wanted to take advantage of that. Uh, I don't know if that worked out so well towards the end of the race, but so I started kind of pushing the pace a little bit around then. And I kept losing the group kind of – one, going up hills, because um, the mascot of my high school is the, was the Hillers. Um, so it was a really hilly town. And then right now I live in a town that's also very hilly. So I just find that hills are kind of my strong suit. And going up any of the hills, the girls in the group were kind of like freaking out that we were kind of... Um, kind of pushing the pace or they were like, it feels like we're surging up the hills. And there was just a lot of chattering still going on, which I was fine with at the beginning because people are getting out like nervous energy. Sure. But then around that point when it's kind of starting to get hard and people are more like not complaining, you know, but just being kind of critical about the pace and the pacing. I was like, okay, I just kind of need to run my own race. Um, so when I found myself kind of pulling away on the uphills or also um, I didn't have, because my halftime was only 118, 39 um you had to run under 118 to get into the uh, u.s champs section so i actually didn't have like the elite water bottles that a lot of the girls in the pace group had so when we would hit those tables they would all be like kind of moving over to get their drinks and i wouldn't have to go over so at those two spots like uphills and during those water stations there'd kind of be a gap and i'm like i'm not gonna like slow down and kind of try and regroup because eventually I'm going to need to take a water cup Yeah, uh, that they don't need to take because they have their bottle. So you were using the regular water stops that I would use, that anybody else in the race would use? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
so I read your recap and it's like you, so you sped up then and then you had a really difficult last three miles. Um, but don't you ever wonder, like, you know, it's not like you were speeding up at mile eight. So sometimes I wonder like those last three miles were probably going to be really difficult regardless. So maybe you did make the right move, you know? Yeah. I was talking to one of my friends from college about that. I'm like, I don't want to like say I didn't make a smart choice because like I could have felt like crap the last three miles anyway. And if I had like held on to goal pace for those, like from miles 13 to 20, like I would not have hit the standard. So I can't really like say that it was a poor decision, but it definitely didn't make the last three miles feel very good. Oh yeah, sure. I could, I was reading and I was like, I know it feels so bad. And then you pulled over to pull up your sock too. Were you nervous that you weren't going to be able to get your momentum back? Yeah, because so in Boston and LA, both those marathons, I stopped and walked because I was just so tired. And then in Chicago, I just ran the whole time. Um, And I was like, dang it. When you don't stop, you don't cramp up. So like, I was really, really nervous to pull my sock up. But my my right cramp was just really cramping up and giving me problems. Um, so I was like, it's kind of like a crapshoot. I got to make the decision one way or another. Um, and I think I stopped for just short enough amount of time that things didn't tighten up too bad. So you ran a 244.16 and you saw that the clock said 244, like with your 200 meters to go. That's always so nerve wracking because you're like, I got to get under. I mean, yeah. And you, did you have your watch on total time or were you looking at your pace per mile? I, so I have it on, let me pull it up. Um, so I have three, three data fields and I had it on um, distance, total time and pace, current pace. Oh, current pace. Okay. Yeah. So and then I was laughing. I turned off the auto lap because I hate in a marathon when it's like, oh, the mile marker is like, 100 meters up there and it's telling me this is where the mile marker is I just like to pretend like the mile splits are correct yeah um so I was like manually splitting it every mile yeah because that's so discouraging when your watch clicks over and then you still have like so much further to run before you actually get to the mile marker yeah exactly one thing though I will say is CIM was the first marathon that I was actually in my watch said 26.6 so it's pretty pretty close you must have done a really good job running tangents then, though. I think there's very few turns, so it's a lot easier to run, yeah, the tangents. Well, and that, and when you're so far in uh, the front of the rest of the, the marathoners, uh, you just, you're not weaving as much. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, you look at your watch at one point, though, and you see it at 216 at mile 22, and you think, okay, you do the math. I could slow down as slow as almost seven-minute mile and still make it back. <laughs> I mean, that's a good feeling because you probably knew that you could do that. But still, it's yep. like, man, that clock is ticking. And it's just like, it's it's easy to lose time in those last yeah. like, three to six miles. It really is. It slips away quick. Mm-hmm. Luck, the thing I really liked about CIM is that towards the end, the crowds really do start to get thicker. Um, so you kind of, as you're coming in towards the finish line, you're getting more of like, this energy from the crowds and um I like cry thinking about this still um just like and I wrote it in my recap but like every guy that was like cheering from the sidelines because like everybody there kind of they seemed like they were 
like real running fans and like knew a lot about running um, and the guys that are up in that time zone. Um, so many people were like, get that OTQ, like, come on, get your time. And like, they like knew. And I don't know when somebody's cheering for you, like for your specific goal, it just is so much more helpful and um, so much more encouraging than just like, Hey, speed up. You're almost there. Um, so that was really, really helpful. Those past couple of miles, any guy and girl that was coming by, was like, come on, you can do it. We can do it. Like get, get, get that time. So that was really encouraging at the end to not, not let my legs stop, stop turning over. Yeah. It does mean something when someone actually understands the, you know, the nature of what you're really doing, because I do feel like even with my marathons, it's like, I have friends that cheer me on and, you know, um, get excited and, and, and you see people on the sidelines cheering, but I feel like there are some friends who I'm like, no, they might not be like a big marathoner themselves, but I feel like they really get it and they get how hard I work for this goal. Yeah. And that does make it more meaningful because some people mm-hmm. are kind of like, are just kind of like, oh yeah, she runs marathons all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. So that those guys specifically knew like, okay, no, she's going for something. Like I know she's trying to qualify for the trials based on how fast she's running right yeah. now and what the clock's at. Um, that's really cool. Oh, I And yeah. it's, it's just a fun experience too to be, a faster female up there with those guys who are still running really fast for guys, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And it's just so fun that they're all encouraging. And I mean, that's kind of the whole point of CIM. I mean, a lot of people are there to qualify for Boston, which is cool. And um, obviously they had pacers for 245, which a lot of races don't. So that's a big focus of their race is to get gals qualified for the trials. Um, so I just love that atmosphere that it's like this community effort that everybody kind of wants you to succeed and get that time. Um, I, can't so that was many, cool. I can't believe how many people qualify for the trials there. I mean, because um, what place did that put you in it, running a 244? Yeah, I was 48. Isn't that crazy? Like, Isn't that insane? Yeah, because most marathons, I mean, you know, aside from like Chicago and Boston, you'd be like, you know, like the first or second girl and... <laughs> Like mm-hmm. tenth overall or something crazy like that. Yeah, I think there was, if I counted correctly after me, I think there was fifty-five that qualified. Although, uh, I don't know if there was anybody not like not American okay. ahead of me. But yeah, there was fifty-five times that would have made the the trials if they're all American. Oh, okay, okay. So fifty-five females made the tri- the trials times at that race. Yeah. Which means there were seven. Only seven behind me. Oh, man. And I'll need to to post at some point the video because CIM had video like along the course and they're free. Um, But the gal behind me is moving and I am like dying. So I'm just like, next time, that's my goal is to finish like she's finishing because she's sprinting. And I'm just like dead crawling across the finish line. Did you remember her from being packed up with her earlier? She, I don't think was in the group before. I think she kind of ran the whole thing kind of on her own. Yeah, I think. I don't remember her being with us. Okay. I also wasn't really looking around. Yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> I was kind of laser focused. I think it's really interesting that you were saying people were kind of chatty. I mean, even mm-hmm. the pace I run marathons. I mean, I just ran a 311 and it was like 
719 pace and I don't chat, you know, like, yeah. I'm like, if I was running an entire minute per mile faster than that, I can't imagine chatting like people were talking. Yeah, it was more like towards the beginning, like, kind of like hyping each other up to kind of, oh, we're all going to do this, ladies. And one thing I thought was really cool was just hearing how many women that were in that group trying to break the time had kids. Mm. Um, that kind of, to me, felt really empowering knowing, oh, wow, there's like so many other women up here that have kids. And how cool is that? There were all these like runner moms that are chasing this big goal, which was cool. Hey, everybody. I want to jump in real quick and thank one of our sponsors for today's episode, and that is Zappos. Zappos has a new running site that is amazing. If you guys go to zappos.com slash running, you can find shoes and apparel and all kinds of great stuff over there. They have over 1,000 trusted brands like Nike, Adidas, Brooks, Asics, Lucy, Lorna Jane, all kinds of really cute and functional gear over there. I actually also wrote some training plans for them, so you can find my half marathon and full marathon training plans over on their website. And what you guys probably already know about Zappos is that they have fast and free shipping. Next day, you order it and it arrives to wherever you're sending it the very next day. So that's a really, really great perk to ordering from Zappos. And their customer service is phenomenal. So if you are interested, head over to zappos.com slash running. Thanks, Zappos, for supporting this podcast. So I try not to think about age too much, but, I mean, you're only 27. And I talk to a lot of moms on the podcast and, and people that are, like, mid-30s to late-30s that are, you know, running these fast times. And you just have so much time. How, does that excite you? What does that make you feel? It's funny because I... In some ways, I feel like, oh, yeah, I have a lot of time left to see what I can do. But then also, I know how fast the last five years went. Mm-hmm. Um, and we definitely want to have, like, more kids. And that kind of just all factors into not only the time off for pregnancy and recovery, but then, like, figuring out how to train hard with two or three. I want to have one, four. <laughs> My husband doesn't want four. Um, four kids kids? yeah well yeah three is good too my (laughs) husband wants two but just like sorting all that out that just to me that seems difficult and so I'm also in a way wondering how much longer like I'll be like kind of have the energy and like want to train at this level so trying to figure that all out right now Okay, so it's two thousand. It's almost two thousand eighteen. You're are you putting that baby train on hold until after the trials? I think so. Yeah, that seems to be. We've been having that conversation kind of over the past couple of months, knowing that it was a possibility um, to qualify the trials at this race, um, and that kind of seems to be the consensus consensus between us. Yeah, that's tough too because, like, yeah. you know, how old she'll be what three four almost four yeah yeah so that's probably like putting a bigger gap than you originally intended huh yeah we we like the three the three-year gap so it would definitely be bigger than originally planned but also it would be good in terms of me kind of being more established in my career and just kind of I mean depending on how like this track season and I'm planning to do CIM again next year because it's the U.S. champs again 
Um, and it's just a good time of the year to do a marathon with my cross country coaching schedule. Um, depending on how like the next two years go and how the trials go next year, I could see myself kind of being done and satisfied with my career and just being ready to like pop out two babies and then be mom and coach for, for a while. Yeah. But I mean, so she's, I mean, you're going to have such a big helper out of her if you have a gap. I mean, honestly, that's going to be amazing first of all, but second of all, um, you are going to do all that. You're going to have your two baby, other babies. You're going to coach. And then you're going to only be 35 still. And you're going to be like, I yeah. guess I can still run really freaking fast. <laughs> that is something that's really cool to see, like, all the women, um, yeah, that are in their, like, mid to late 30s still running so fast. And to know, like, it doesn't have to be over for me when I'm 30. Right. Um, yeah. Like, so you yeah. can still pursue all this stuff and hang it up. And maybe you do hang it up and, you know indefinitely or definitely or whatever but um it doesn't you just you can just see what happens and what you feel like and how your life is I mean because I feel like when that youngest baby gets to be like three even you you're sleeping and yeah. you know what I mean it's like even even when that youngest baby is two you know yeah it's like your hormones are normal again so who knows what'll happen but it's exciting um yeah for sure. yeah and so well, to- to be in a place like even just considering that because I think even maybe a year ago I would have said I could never ever see a time when I'm not not trying to train and race really really hard um but there's there's just so many other things like growing up I played so many sports and I just love being active in many ways and when you're training so hard you you can't really you don't have time or energy or your coach is telling you you're not allowed to, you know, go skiing or stuff like that. So um, my husband used to run um, and he can't anymore. So I would just love to find some stuff we can kind of do together and as a family. Oh, that sounds fun. Why, why does not he, why does he not run anymore? Um, he has really bad knee problems, mm. unfortunately. Yeah, it's the knee that's and actually. The I feel like those are the two things that if if they're if that's a huge problem, it can really put you out. Like you're done. Yeah. So I mean, oh, I know you lo- love to hear how people met each other. I do. I was uh, that was my next question. So good job. <laughs> yeah. So we met actually on our college cross country team. Oh, fun! Oh, cute. That's how yeah. You, that's how you got married so young. You met in college. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. But so he he grew up in California and they just pile on the miles in high school. Um, so he did a couple like 80 mile weeks in high school, That's insane. Um, that is- which just, yeah, kind of, I had a lot of teammates um, from college that went to high school in California and it was mostly all the out of state kids or the kids that running wasn't their main sport in high school that actually made it all four years running in college because they were just burnt out or their body was burnt out. Hopefully those coaches are revisiting that. I mean, that's, that does just does not seem healthy. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I coached high school for one year and there was a lot of kids that were like really nervous about how like low mileage I had them running and I'm like telling them, you know, I'm, I'm training you to get through college if you want to run and to run for the rest of your life. Um, I know maybe we're not like winning our, our league or you guys aren't go- getting to stay as a team, but 
I'm telling you, I would much rather you feel like you underperformed in high school, but trained it hard and had fun. And then you go to college and get better. I don't want you to go to college and get worse. That's so smart as a coach and probably so hard for an athlete to understand. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't even, I can think of so many people that went to running college and just never, you know, like my high school cross country coach won state in high, in high school. And I think, I think she won state a couple of times and the other time she was like third. Um, but she, I don't think really ever had a successful college career or post collegiate yeah. career because she was always injured. I don't know if that's why, I don't know what her injury issues were, but I feel like that happens so often. These kids go to college and they just get injured and that's that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I've also seen the thing um, that's hard is like kids who they're so fast when they're young because it's easy and it's not, they don't have to work hard and then their body changes a little better. They grow. And then it's like, Oh, I have to, I have to try mm-hmm. that. That is just so hard for me. Cause I'm like you, if you just get through this, these couple of years when your body's changing and it's hard and it'll get easier, I promise you. But that's when you lose a lot of runners too, I feel like. So what are you doing all week now that you're just, you're, you have to go back to work, but you're riding this post-marathon high. Yeah. What are you guys doing this weekend? We're actually having my husband's cousin's kids over for a Christmas slumber party. Oh, cute. Yeah. We're going to be, visiting my family for Christmas so that's our present to the kids is the slumber party and our present to their parents is a date night out without the kids I was gonna say so does that mean the kids are staying the night with you and they get to go home and then they come back and get them in the morning yes yes I mean that's the best because you know I'm just I'm thinking about this tomorrow do they have two kids three oh you're going for it well I mean I'm thinking about this already tomorrow night we have two Christmas parties or no birthday party and a Christmas party we're going to and that's good and fine we have a babysitter that's great but I'm like what we really need the babysitter Saturday morning overnight yeah Yeah. like Saturday morning from like 6 a.m to 10 a.m like yeah Miss Julia can you please come back in the morning and we're just going to be uh like resting (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's the hardest part like we we have always been like early dinner people like going out on dates at like 5 p.m but now we like covet our family time so much because my husband and I kind of work opposite schedules and we just get very little time all three of us together that now we like leave for date night after she goes to bed which is at like 7 we leave at 7 30 like dang it we're so old and tired like we can't stay out this late. So yeah, the mornings after date night are always really, really groggy and slow. <laughs> so do you leave after she goes to bed so that you can do the bedtime thing or what? Do you have a babysitter come over and? Yeah, we'll have a babysitter come over, which is you know, while your kid's just sleeping. But yeah, we just like to get as much time with her as possible and be gone when she's asleep. Yeah, I mean, I understand that, especially if you're, you know, she's at daycare and you're working I now, so like, I will now, if we have plans at like seven, I will now have our babysitter come at like five or five 30 because I'm like, I do not want to be any part of the bedtime process. And if I'm already paying her to come like hang out while my kids are sleeping. Um, 
So actually, tomorrow night even, I we have plans at 7, but I <laughs> scheduled a podcast interview at 5.30, and I was like, so what I'll do is I'll shower and get ready, and then I'll do a <laughs> podcast interview in my closet while I'm, like, ready, and she's here <laughs> dealing with the kids because my husband's no. not going to be able to get off work on time, and then, um, like, I'll just... You'll sneak out. I'll sneak out, yeah, like, sneak out the back. That's exactly what I'll do. I mean, um, but, yeah, I mean just because bedtime is such chaos but I mean oh I'm sure with three it's crazy I wouldn't be saying that if it wasn't like the if it was just the little guy it'd be totally different but it's just the chaos of the bigger two um because the little guy he's down at like 6 30 so it's like you know whatever but anyway so that's so fun that you're doing a sleepover how old are the kids they are five eight and eleven Oh, okay. Well, they're great ages. They're like, yeah, with your daughter. And mm-hmm. oh. yeah, I think giving this year was awesome. I'm like, where's Liv? I don't know. Just playing with the cousins. Well, so. And they're big enough that she's probably pretty, I mean, she's pretty safe with them too. It's not like she's like a three-year-old chasing her around. Yeah. 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 They were like spotting her and like making sure she was like not going anywhere she shouldn't go. That's so cute. Okay. Well, before yeah. we move on to the end of the podcast questions, yeah. I have to bring up to everybody that you had an unmedicated birth in a birth mm-hmm. center. So yeah. tell me why and tell me what it, tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah. I love talking about uh, my birth, um, but it's so funny. My husband teases me and he says, you make the most hippie choices for the least hippie reason. Um, I'm like honestly terrified. I'm a, like a type A person through and through um, and just like terrified of not being kind of in control um, and not knowing what's going on. So a couple of years ago when I got my wisdom teeth out, even I'm like, I don't want to go under. You can pull them out while I'm awake. So they just like put me under like local anesthesia and like pulled my teeth out while I was like wide awake. Um, And again, that was like more out of fear of going under than like fear of watching them pull out my teeth. So it was kind of like a similar thing with labor. I was like, I'm like more terrified of something going wrong with the epidural than like the pain of labor. Um, and my my grandfather had passed away about like a year before she was due. And so hospitals have always just been kind of like a sad place and also, I used to work in a hospital. I know, like, how kind of gross and dirty they are. I'm like, oh, no. Like, for me, that just doesn't seem like the right decision. Um, and then we found this, like, awesome birth center near us. And it's not so hippy-dippy that they're, like, midwives and that's it. They're, like, certified nurses. So they, like, have their RN um, and BSN. And then they're also, like, midwives. And they had all the medical equipment and stuff there. Um that's kind of why we chose it. Um, and we did the Bradley method, uh, uh, birthing classes, which honestly I think have kind of really helped too with my running. Cause it's a lot about just like breathing through the pain and letting the pain come. And which when you're in a marathon and it's two hours and 40 minutes and you don't know really how long it's going to be um, that you're struggling and in pain, just kind of like letting go. And we did a lot of practicing before she was born. Um, but I don't know if you felt this way when, when you had Marshall, but like, did you know if you were in labor, did you have any clue? 
Um, well, long story short, I had a scheduled C-section with Marshall. Oh. My other two babies, um, no, I didn't. I just, it was like, I just was like, when is this going to happen? And then finally, like my third one was a, an entire week overdue. Okay. Yeah. And I was like, um, I kept thinking, is this happening? Is this happening? And then finally my water broke, but okay. yeah, I mean, I was like, man, this is my third baby. I should know by now like, what's going on with my body. And I really had yeah. no idea. I was like, I don't know what's going on. So anyway. Yeah. I So I felt the same way. Like I had no clue I was in labor. I was like, I didn't really have any like Braxton Hicks leading up to that. And our midwife kind of seemed to think like, oh, well, you'll have some Braxton Hicks, like, before you go into real labor. My water never broke. Like, I have really bad cramps, like, in general in life. So I'm, like, having these cramps and telling my doula, I'm like, so I'm kind of having, like, period cramps. He's like, oh, you'll know. They'll change. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. And so I kind of been having them for almost a day, honestly. And then we just like had an appointment and she's like, well, let's just go I'll meet you guys at the birth center. We'll see how far along you are. And then we're like driving there and, you know, they like say, oh yeah, like when you're getting close, like you feel like you have to go to the bathroom and we're driving there. I'm like, uh, don't tell Henry you feel like you have to go to the bathroom. Don't tell Henry that you feel like you're about to have a baby. Um, and we get there, they're like, just checking me in like it's a normal appointment and then they're looking at me as I'm like having contractions and they're like let's check you and I was nine centimeters dilated and we had her like three hours after we got to the birth center that's crazy (laughs) and the whole time before that we were just like at home watching how I met your mother on the couch (laughs) so question about the birth center though like do they have so you said they have medical equipment there. Do they mm-hmm. have the means to do a C-section if you have to, if you need an emergency C-section? No. So they would transport you to the hospital, um, but they have like an ambulance, their own ambulance, and they like they transfer earlier than you would like. Before have it would become to. like a yeah. real real emergency, like yeah. So they do like they do the fetal monitoring. They don't do it continuously like they do in the hospital and you're not like hooked up to an IV, um, which I really like. Just like wanting to be able to move around. And um, I liked the idea of that. And then I ended up just like laying there. (laughs) I'm like, oh, I guess that wouldn't have really mattered if I was hooked up to an IV. But um, no, it was just really it was really nice just to be kind of in more of like a home atmosphere. It's like a bed, like an actual like queen-size bed and like a tub and um it's funny because it's like in the middle of this like shopping center and there's like a grocery store next (laughs) um but then you only stay there for like four hours and you get to go home so it was just so nice like that night to be back in our house and um to just get to sleep in our own bed and all that kind of stuff so So it, it was just really special the way that we had her so then what do they do with like the post uh feed, like post baby post baby being born monitoring and like all the screenings and stuff like the oxygen and stuff. <laughs> so well so they they do like the um what's it called? I think it's the APGAR test for the baby. Mm-hmm. So they do it like that right immediately the hour later, the three hours later, 
they make sure all your bleeding is under control. And then you actually go back. I think usually you would go back like two days later. But since we had her like at 3 p.m., we went back. Oh, I think you usually go back three days later and we back two days later because we had her so early in the day. Mm. Um, and they kind of like tell you what to like look out for. They show you how to massage your own, like your fundus, like the top of your uterus to help it like contract which that was the like the thing I just loved about it so much because they really teach you they taught us while we were pregnant how to like do the belly mapping and kind of use your hands and feel where their head is and feel their butt and like just tell all that kind of stuff so they just really empower you to be knowledgeable um and like kind of uh autonomous about your pregnancy and like all that stuff so that just kind of gave me a lot of the peace of mind to know kind of what's going on and learn along the, along the way with them. Yeah. But yeah, my, my sister's a delivery nurse and she's like, what if you bleed out at home? I know, right? So well, she was, did your, did she come check on you or does she not live near you? She lives in, uh, she was in Massachusetts at the time, but it's funny cause she, I mean, she's just a newly a nurse. And then my grandparents who were like, surgeons and an internist they're like oh yeah sounds good <laughs> stay out of the hospital if you can it's like okay yeah, be fine. I think that my I think that my only like well mostly because I'm like give me the epidural now yeah um, but so after Russell was born he so Glenn went home the next day and I stayed in the hospital with Russ because Glenn had to go mm-hmm. and take care of the kids of course right and so, but then the doctor came into my uh, hospital room um, at like three in the morning. Like they had taken Russ to do like uh, screenings and stuff like that. And I was like, just leave him in the nursery after you do that so I can sleep. Um, you know, wouldn't have felt the same way with my first baby, but I was like, yeah. leave that kid in there. But the doctor came back in and I was like, where's my baby? Why is this doctor in my room without my baby yeah. right now? Like I was so scared, but. Anyway, he, he was failing his oxygen tests, which is why I asked you about the oh. oxygen test. Um, so they ended up putting him yeah. in the continuing care nursery for, like, mm-hmm. another day um, mm-hmm. just to monitor. And he ended up being totally fine. And so, like, had we gone home and done everything, like, nothing bad would have happened. Yeah. But I'm like, would I? Be? So so then I had this, like, you know, day of kind of anxiety and worry that yeah. like, my child had a heart defect, you know. Mm-hmm. And so had we gone home, maybe we wouldn't have even known that or, you know, maybe it, maybe it would have saved me some anxiety. Some anxiety. But I'm sure they, t- they checked his oxygen before he left and they probably checked it two days later, too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, the thing I didn't think about is like things like that they do at the hospital that made having a birth center birth made so complicated was things like social security card, birth certificate. Like, we had to go to the office of, like, I don't know what it's called, the office of life and death or something morbid like that, and, like, get her birth certificate when she was five days old. I'm like, why am I taking my five-day-old baby to this, Uh like, gross state office and then the Social Security office and then her newborn hearing test? Like, oh, that stuff is so much easier if you're in the hospital and they all just do those things before you leave. Right, like, knock it out before you leave, for sure. Well, I say that the most pain I've ever been in in my life is for sure uh, 
contractions before my epidural. So, oh, I'm sure. <laughs> mad, mad respect to you for doing that. Uh, I think, I mean, and I honestly, I think that experience has helped a lot with being able to run through the pain in a marathon. So, oh, sure. I remember saying like, oh, marathons are easy when I experienced that, and I only experienced yeah. you know hard contractions for like an hour because I was like, hook <laughs> me up, like. Yeah. <laughs> the epidural. It's like an out-of-body experience for sure. Yeah, it is. All right, so let's wrap it up here. What's sure. one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Yeah, Um. so I do a little bit of like online coaching. Um. I used to do a, have a lot more clients before I started grad school, and then when I started grad school, things got really busy. So I'd really like to grow that and kind of, have that, build that up and make that my main source of income just so I have more flexibility in the future with having kids and all that kind of stuff. What does your husband do? He works in the film industry. He does a little bit of post-production and a little bit of production side stuff. Okay. I asked that because we mentioned that your um, schedules were so different. Yeah. Um, and you're right now though, your main gig is coaching for the college team and then doing your mm-hmm. your coaching as well, right? Yeah. And say, how many athletes do you coach? So we kind of all work as a team, like at the, at the college. So we all work with everybody. We have like 40 athletes on the team. And then I have like currently like five online clients. I'd love to have like 20. So well, You can make that happen. You've got yourself a nice little running resume now. Yeah. Now that my marathon uh, time is, comparable to the, the rest of my times yeah I used I coached Janae for her last Boston oh Janae from Hungry, Hungry Runner Girl oh sure and I made I made the mistake once of like seeing like oh is anybody saying anything about me on uh some web like some blogger website and they're like why is she using this girl whose PR is slower than hers in the marathon I'm like well <laughs> Was it the get off my internet thing? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. man, those people. Who are these people? Come forward. I know. I want to interview you. Come forward. <laughs> you're one of those people. I've never been um, popular enough in the internet world for people to talk about me on that. So No. That was the only thing. I'm like, yeah, because I'm on her website. But, yeah, I've never read anything on that website ever again. <laughs> that's so funny. Well, I'm sure that people like Janae have a really thick skin for reasons like that. Yes. Because that's got to mm-hmm. be really hard to do I mean I've I've seen I've had a couple mean comments here and there but it's like I don't know why it's so hurtful like you don't you don't know my heart okay exactly (laughs) (laughs) well hey maybe you'd need to log back on and be like just so you know that coach she had now has a 244 (laughs) (laughs) PR how did you know Janae she kind of she knows one of my friends that I run with Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So if you could have, or what's an accomplishment you're most proud of? Um, I would have to say two. I would say my marathon on Sunday, but then also I'm just really proud of um, my like having my daughter and kind of just being her mom. I know that's not really an accomplishment, but yeah, I just love I just love being a mom, yeah. <laughs> you should add having a natural birth at a birthing center to <laughs> For sure. Um, if you could have coffee or cocktail with someone fun, who would it be? This one was really hard. And I was like talking with my husband last night, like, who would it be? And he was just, he's like, you should say Emma Coburn. I'm like, that's just because you love her. <laughs> um, like, really? He was like, 
oh, the other day, he's like, Emma Coburn is my favorite girl runner. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, oh, besides you, obviously. I'm like, uh-huh. You're like, you like, um, those, you like those blonde runners, huh? Yes. <laughs> um, but I would have to say either Lauren Fleshman or Alicia Montano, just because they're both mom runners and just like really kind of outspoken in the sport of running for clean sport and just, I don't know, kind of keeping it um, a reputable sport. That's good. Yeah. They would both be really fun. If you had one message to send to the world, what would it be? I would say uh, don't be afraid to go after uh, your dreams. And go run a 244 marathon <laughs> because you're not afraid. What are you, what are you loving right now? Um, right now, I'm loving rest week. It's my favorite. Not running for a little bit. Um, well-deserved, earned that. Yes. Starbucks Christmas Blend Espresso. Have you ever tried that? No. Tell me more. It's so good, but I always buy, like, the bag around Christmas time. It's, like, the beans from Starbucks. Um, but, like, the bag is, like, $17 or something, so I have to use it sparingly at home because it's just, I don't know what it is, but. It's really good espresso. So do you make? So do you have an espresso machine? We have one of those like stove top ones. Okay, so tell me what you do. Do you do you sip the espresso or do you make yourself a latte? I make a latte. What? Yeah. Tell me how you what kind of latte you make. How do you make it? Um. So I forget like what the ratios are, but our little like espresso pot has like um directions. Like, has, like, recipes, basically. So, I think a latte is one part espresso to two parts milk and one part foam, I think. How do you do Or maybe just a little foam. So, then I have a little, like, uh, handheld milk frother. So, I microwave the milk for 45 seconds and then froth it up. How do you froth it? It's, like, a little, like, handheld stick with a button on the end and you like put the little uh milk frothing part in the milk and you just push the button and it like spins around and frosts it okay I've always, yeah. I've always wondered how to make it because I always like make like lattes but I just do half mm -hmm. half, half coffee half milk <laughs> yeah I'm too so a misto what a misto right yeah. that's what they call it my Starbucks yeah oh is that what they call it yeah because I think well I think that's what they Call it at Starbucks when it's coffee, not espresso, like coffee and milk. So we had an espresso machine back in the day, and uh, we used to use it, like, years ago. And then uh -huh. it, it sat in our attic for, like, five years. And of when course. I was doing the damn minimalist challenge, I was like, <laughs> the espresso machine has to go. And now I want an espresso machine. I don't even know if that thing uh -huh. really worked anymore, though, so. Was it, like, one of the big, like, fancy ones? Or? It was big. I mean, I, basically, though, it had been in our attic because I was like, I'm not putting that on my counter. It's, like, one more thing to take up counter space. and Yeah. Um, and my husband would just, like, make espresso all the time. And like you said, it's, like, $17 for, you know, a nice bag of it. So I'm like, we don't yeah. need to, like, make fancy espresso drinks every day. But now, yeah. now I think I'm... To the point where I'm like, no, yeah, maybe we can. <laughs> yeah. Well, and for me, it's like, if I don't make it at home, I'm going to want to get it. Yeah. And, and yeah. yeah. Especially because at school, all I have to, like at work, all I have to do is like walk to one of the food places. It's like way too easy. 
Totally. Well, I have um, two days a week I have babysitter, and I on those days I almost always get buy a latte at like, you know, like 2 p.m. or something. And yeah, but I do notice that my sleep is not nearly as good that night. Like I, I have to take a melatonin before bed. So it, it affects mm-hmm. me for sure. I've been finding that too. Caffeine used to not like if I had it in the afternoon, it wouldn't matter. But now, yeah, if I have something after 3 p.m., I'm up later than I'd like to be. Yeah. And I'd like to just believe that's not the case, but I think it really is because I'd like to <laughs> not you know, like have that in my head, like, yeah, I'm just going to continue to do it though. And unless it severely affects me, then I'm going to keep going. Yeah. (laughs) Um, okay. What other questions do we have? Sorry, I got off track. Um, did you have any more things you're loving? Um, oh, I'm loving my Adidas ultra boosts, um, and my audios boosts, which those are the ones I ran the the race in. So those I'm really loving. (laughs) You're, you're going to stick to those. Yep. Mm -hmm. Future marathons. Um, yep. what is the best, most recent book you've read? This isn't a super recent book to have come out, but I really liked All the Light You Cannot See. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've heard of that one. It's really good. I, I like almost, uh, only read historical fiction. Um, and that's a really good one. Okay. I heard when that was like real popular, like when it just came out, I remember people um, talking about it. Boys uh, in the Boat is also awesome. What is it? Boys in the Boat. Okay, that's a good one, too. I've never heard of that one. It's about the University of Washington rowing team oh. from, like, the 40s or 50s. It's really good. Okay, okay. I was just thinking, uh, this is not the same thing, <laughs> but I feel like it referred to it. We just read How Bad Do You Want It, uh, Matt Oh, Carroll. yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he referred to a rowing team. And I feel like that there was a reference to that book. So I, I've heard of that book or maybe someone on this podcast has recommended it. I don't know. Um, oh, I'm, it makes sense in the context of how bad do you want it? Because that's one of the reasons I love it is because like, it was just talking about, I mean, this is like 50, 60 years ago and they are like, they go end up going to the Olympics as a team men's eight rowing boat but like they don't have scholarships so like that this one guy who like the book is kind of based around is in the summers he's going and like working in a mine and a quarry or something like doing this like really back breaking labor just to like make enough money to go back to school and he's like living in this like janitor's dorm and like being a janitor at night after he's like waking up at 5 a.m to like go to practice and like dang college kids these days have it so easy (laughs) like do the sport that they love and this guy just loved it so much and like worked so hard so I just find it so inspiring all right I'm gonna put it on my list I keep saying I'm gonna make a blog post of all the books that have been recommended on this show because (laughs) there's so many of them that would Um, be good do you have a nonprofit you like to support yeah um we have been supporting a child through world vision for a really long time Um, So that's a good one. And then we also love Friends and Helpers, which is a local L.A. charity that um, supports abused women and children that are, like, coming out of bad situations. Um, So they do, like, uh, backpacks and stuff with, like, school supplies for kids and then, like, food and all that kind of stuff. So do you live in L.A.? Uh, We're in the Inland Empire. Okay. Is that close? Yeah, so it touches L.A. County and Orange County. 
man, what a crazy life. You live in, I mean, just like I'm living here in Midwest Indiana, and I just can't imagine living somewhere like that. Do you love it? I really like it. Um, It's definitely a lot different than where I grew up. Um, I do miss the seasons, but just like being able to be outside all year and the weather is usually great right now. We're having crazy winds and fires, but in general, it's a pretty cool place to live. And I assume you live there because your husband's in the film industry? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, I saw yep. your Instagram post where you were like out running in the sports bra and someone was like, it's so cold. And you're like, no, yeah. that's, that's, it's really not cold at all yeah. <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, Lauren, congratulations. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on the show and chatting yeah. with me for a good solid hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, I had a really great time. Thanks for having me. Well, you enjoy your rest time and whatever Thank these you. next couple weeks bring you and enjoy the summer yeah. as well. Thank you. All right. Take care. Yeah, you too. Have a good Christmas. Thanks. Bye. All right, everybody. And that wraps up our CIM podcast series. So fun, right? Thank you so much, Lauren, for coming on and sharing your story. I really appreciated you uh, taking time to chat with me. You guys can follow Lauren over on Instagram, thefoodierunner underscore. And that's the name of her blog as well, where she talks about her training and things like that. And you guys can follow me on Instagram, lindsayhine626. You can find me on Twitter, at lindsayhine. And you can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. We also have a group over there, so check it out. If you're looking for more content from me, I do post bonus episodes over on my Patreon page for those who support the show. And that's just patreon.com slash lindsayhine. All right. Thank you, Generation Can, And thank you, Zappos, for supporting this podcast. Most importantly, thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful Friday. Have a great weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.